The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with hosts Victoria and Adair Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here with her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan and an actress, a playwright, and a stunt performer to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now let's get this party started. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey everybody, welcome to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran. And we are so happy that you have joined us today. We have lots and lots to talk about, even before we bring on our guest, because you are getting packed to go to far-off Africa. Yes, yes, I leave on Saturday. And you just absolutely, if I must say so, look like you've been through something. You've been having some immunizations, I think. Yeah, well, I, I had the uh, the typhoid vaccine, which is a little rough. It's a live vaccine, so you get just a little bit of typhoid. It, and that must be a terrible, terrible disease because you haven't been able to eat anything good in days. Yeah, it's been a little rough. Uh, but tell us what you're going to do in Africa and what you're going to see. Uh, we're spending a few days in Victoria Falls being tourists. Then we're, um, we're going to a safari lodge in a pretty remote part of Zambia. And, uh, and we're going to spend about five days there. Um, they actually have their main lodge. And then you can drive four hours north to their even more remote Lodge where you camp in little tents on platforms. So we're doing that. Um, and then from there, we go to Zimbabwe and we do a canoe safari down the lower Zambezi for a few days. That is a lot of traveling, but you're not new to traveling. In fact, as I listen to your immunization story, some of our listeners might be interested to know that I tried to bring you up as a little kid with all the natural stuff that I knew about. You were born at home. We did have a physician, but we also had a midwife. And I was just adamant that any inoculations that were not required by law, you just weren't going to get. And you did fine, and you were eight years old, and then we were going to take another big trip. We were going to China, Tibet, Nepal, India, and I made the mistake of calling the center's for disease control, and they convinced me that you needed every kind of inoculation under the sun. I wouldn't call that a mistake, though. There's a lot of nasty stuff you can catch in Asia, and if I'd caught something and died, I think you would have felt pretty bad. I, I would have felt awful, and that was why I did the research. But instead of just looking at the things that were prevalent in that area at the time, they convinced me that you needed all the stuff that you you hadn't gotten when you were younger. So I took you to the pediatrician and she just seemed like somebody who was so excited that she could finally give somebody 
inoculations who had never had them before. And I will never forget standing there at the window to write my check. In those days, we wrote checks for things. And I felt this little tug on my skirt, and I looked down at you, and you had hives all over yourself. Yeah, but we later learned I have an egg allergy. That wasn't because of the immunization per se. It was that it was in an egg base. And it's it's a good thing that you're a vegan, or you would have had hives earlier from breakfast. Uh, well, I don't know. If I'd eaten eggs at a young age, I might not have developed that allergy. It's hard to say. All hard to say, all interesting, but I'm glad that you're okay and that you're going to have a fabulous trip. So for two weeks, Adair will not be co-hosting with me. I will be holding down the fort by myself. So a week from today, I'll be talking with a couple of of wonderful, wonderful women, Ellen Jeffy Jones, the author of Eat Vegan on $4 a Day, and Patty Brightman the co-author of How to Eat Like a Vegetarian, Even If You Don't Want to Be One. So we'll be talking next week a lot about food and recipes and saving money. And then the following week is going to be something different. Going to bring on Dr. Frank Sabatino, who's really my health mentor. And we are going to talk about getting healthy for the whole entire hour. And I'll save that for you, Adair, if you want to listen to it when you come home on your iTunes or something. And what were you saying that we need to tell people to go to iTunes and say they like our show? Yeah, I know. I was saying that we should ask our listeners to go to iTunes and give us a good review because that will help other people all want to listen to it on iTunes. So please go to iTunes. Give us a good review. like that. Now, there was some news this week, and that is that Natalie Portman had a vegan wedding. Did you read about this? Yes, I sent this to you. And she was a bluff overlooking the ocean. They had wildflowers indigenous to the California coast for their decorations. No cake, French macaroons, and a strictly vegan menu. That sound like any weddings you're familiar with? I did have a vegan wedding, yes. You did, but you had cake. You actually had several cakes. Yeah, no, we had amazing cakes from, uh, from vegan treats in Pennsylvania. Everybody loved those cakes. When we had gone to a restaurant here, it's a place that's kind of like a 50s diner. We would call it junk food, vegan food. But, you know, if you really want a vegan chili cheesesteak, you can go to this place called Food Swings in Brooklyn. And Nice places have their cakes, too, though. Well, they had their cakes at Red Bamboo in the West Village. Okay. That's very nice. But we learned about the cakes at, at Food Swings. And... I just just last night went to the opening of a vegan bakery here in, in New York City. So if you had waited a few years to get married, nobody would have had to have driven to Pennsylvania to get your cakes. But I but, really like their cakes. <laughs> well, it was a funny story because we had had their beautiful white cake with strawberries in it. And that was, I thought, the only kind they made. So William, my husband, and his daughter, Sharn, drove out to the wilds of Pennsylvania and got all these cakes. But they didn't look in the box. And when I opened the first box, there was a chocolate cake. And all the cakes were chocolate. And I immediately got very traditional. This is my daughter. She is not having a brown wedding cake. So William and Sharn drove back to Pennsylvania to get white cakes. And because of some kind of food safety law, they couldn't take back the chocolate cakes. Well, who else was going to eat 20 chocolate strawberry shortcakes? Well, your your guests had 40 cakes. People still talk about how much cake they ate at your wedding. Well, yeah, because everybody got like a quarter of a cake. (laughs) It was good. It was very abundant. That was a great wedding. It was catered by Josie's, which isn't a vegetarian restaurant, but it's a dairy-free restaurant. So they knew how to do a vegan fare. And you and Nick had, had made the wine and the beer you were doing. We didn't make the wine. We made the beer. You made the beer. Yes. I the wine was from the Adair Vineyards. Oh, that's upstate. right. The Adair Vineyards in upstate New York. We no like no that. affiliation with me. Just happens to have my name. Well, but that's why we like it. And then all your actor friends came and sang and played the piano. And I remember seeing you off in your limousine to the tune of New York, New York. Okay. It was good. It was good. Weddings are great. So last night, as I said, I went with Sharn, my stepdaughter, to the opening of the Vegan Divas Bakery, 
on the Upper West Side, Upper East Side, I'm sorry, of New York City. And that was really lovely. This is a brand new place, and I'm very excited about it because not only do they have all the vegan baked goods and pastries, but they also have fresh juices and coffees and wraps and vegan soft serve. And just as I was leaving, I ran into a couple that I know slightly, and they were saying, isn't this a great place? And I was saying, yes. And what's really cool about it is it serves every purpose. They have fresh juices, too. And this man looked at me like I was from outer space, and he said, it is such a Victoria Moran thing to say when you are around all this chocolate and all these wonderful pastries, well, they also have fresh juices. But you can get fresh juices all over the place. There are juice bars on every corner now. I mean, they're popular. Well, this is true. If you go all the way to a bakery, you should eat a cupcake or something. Well, that is certainly one philosophy. And then we went from the bakery. Last night was a big, big vegan night in New York City. From the Upper East Side to the Lower East Side to Moose Shoes, the vegan shoe store, for a book party for Jenny Brown, who, with her her partner, has founded the Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary. I tell a great story in Main Street Vegan about the Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary and a particular steer there and a little meeting that he had with William. But Jenny now has her own book called The Lucky Ones about the animals that they have, have saved at the Woodstock Sanctuary. So that was pretty fun. And I have travels coming up, too, not as extensive as yours, but I'm going to be in Santa Rosa, California this weekend. So if anybody is in that part of the world, I'm going to be speaking at the uh, Religious Science Church there, Center for Spiritual Living Santa Rosa. They've got three Sunday morning services, and I'm doing all of them, talking about getting your thoughts, words, and actions together, as in Fly TWA. And in the afternoon, I'm doing a presentation called Peace, Love, and Vegetables. So anybody interested in that can go to SCLSR, that stands for Center for, wait, I said that wrong, CSLSR, Center Spiritual Living Santa Rosa. And finally, the last piece of news that I have on my little newsy list for today is that Miss Liberty, which is a screenplay that my husband and I have been working on for quite a while, is now up on the MainStreetVegan.net site. If you go to MainStreetVegan.net, click MSV Productions, you can read about Miss Liberty, who is a cow, a fictional cow, who escapes from a slaughterhouse and a delightful family film and anybody out there who is a praying person or an affirming person who wants to pray and affirm that Miss Liberty which is now in development go into pre-production into production and into a theater near you will take those prayers it's a great great story you've read it right yeah yeah it would be great if you could have a role in it we'll just see how much power the screenwriters have probably not much probably got to get it made first yeah get it made first but at least you could have an audition okay but we're looking at uh ideally uh, an all vegetarian cast we're working with gene bauer of farm sanctuary to get some of these interesting uh, vegan and vegetarian celebrities on board so that's fun to read about if you want to go to our site. And if you'd like to give a call and talk about whatever's on your mind with us or with our guest who will be coming up after the break, the number is 888-558-6489. We were also looking through some old photographs this morning. Did you find that fun or is it weird looking at old pictures? I don't know. Some of them are fun. A lot of them are of people that I... I don't know who they are. Yeah, a lot of them are of you wearing funny little hats. Yeah, you dressed me in a lot of clothes that I remember hating. You know, being a mom is a very, very hard job because you get to hear about everything you did wrong (laughs) for the rest of your life. But what I was thinking as we were looking through these photographs, and the reason that we were taking this little photographic journey back through time is because another project that's coming up for me is the making of a Main Street Vegan which is my one-woman show. I'm going to perform that for the first time ever anywhere October 5th at the Integral Yoga Institute in Greenwich Village in New York City. 
So if you're a New Yorker listening in, that's going to be absolutely free, and I sure hope you come out. But we want to do slides in the back and have some um, more theatrical elements. So we're looking through some of these pictures that will go along with the stories and the tales that I tell about how I became a Main Street vegan. And we've been carrying signs for animals for a really long time. I guess it doesn't feel like a really long time because I feel like I only ever did that when I was very, very little. Well, I think when you got to be a little bit older and we moved to Kansas City where there wasn't as much of it going on as there had been in Chicago where we lived when you were really little, we kind of got out of it. I think you kind of became a different sort of activist, though, less of a carrying signs and shouting kind of activist. Well, I suppose that's true. Do you remember when we took the bus from the Ozarks to Washington, D.C., to be in the March on the Capitol. Vaguely. Yeah. Well, somebody was asking, I was at a a conference last week, the Animal Rights 2012 conference, and somebody said, do you think we'll ever get to the point where we could have something like the March on Washington from the Civil Rights era or the Million Man March? And somebody else at the table said, we we don't need to be because the change is coming about in other ways. It's not so much now about protesting as about opening another vegan bakery. What do you think? I think it is true that a lot of it is about consumerism. It's I mean, I know that there are these protests and there's we should change this way that we raise meat and that thing we do, but I think the most powerful thing is what people buy. When consumers stop buying animal products, they have to stop making animal products. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think there's there's room for both, obviously. I think we do have to put pressure on legislators. Last week, I, I was at a, a meeting with um, a legislator here in New York City about getting the carriage horses off the streets. And that was a very interesting experience to just kind of see how the system can work on, on behalf of animals. But so much of it is out there in the marketplace. I, I, I do have to add, though, I do think it's important that we uh, end a lot of the government subsidies on meat because I would hate to think that there are people out there who would like to be vegetarian but feel like they can't afford it because the government helps make meat products so very, very cheap. Yeah, and that's fairly new. I mean, certainly when I started as a vegetarian, <laughs> vegetables were cheap. I mean, bananas were 19 cents a pound. I don't know why I remember that. The price of bananas, you could always get a whole big bunch of them. But I think if you know what you're doing, and this is one of the things we try to do with the vegan lifestyle coaches at Main Street Vegan Academy, is help them help other people do this in a way that really fits their budget. I just want to mention a friend of ours who is doing something fabulous and has a Kickstarter campaign to help out with that. His name is Joshua Catcher, and I do want to have him on the show at some point. Joshua is a fashion force of nature. This guy is incredible. He has a website called The Discerning Brute about men's fashion and another called Brave Gentle Man, which are men's fashions that he designs. He's also a professor of sustainable fashion at the Laboratory Institute of Merchandising. He's working on a sustainable fashion textbook for Fairchild Publications, and he has started a line of men's suits. He's been working on these for two years. They're designed in Paris. They're to be made in Italy, but these eco-friendly, totally vegan fabrics come from Japan. He needs to get the fabrics from Japan to Italy, or two years of work is all wasted. So it's a rather dramatic story, and it could have a Fabulous, wonderful movie-like ending. Um, so check out Kickstarter and Brave Gentle Man and see if you could give some help to our friend Joshua. So stay with us through these announcements, and we'll be back with a very special guest and more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio. like to take a moment to encourage you as part of our unity online radio family of listeners to support this ministry through a love offering 
For your convenience, you can make one-time or recurring monthly donations. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. Hi, my name is Lynn Twist. I'm the author of The Soul of Money. If you're struggling right now with a financial crisis, I recommend going to www.unityfm and listening to our course about the soul of money and how to handle this in a way that brings out the deep spirituality that's available at this time. You know, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Join author Lynn Twist for The Blessing of the Financial Crisis. You'll learn new techniques to use the current economic situation to redefine your relationship with money. It's available now for immediate download at unity.fm in the video download section. From on the air to on the sea. Pack your bags and come with me. Hey, hey, what you waiting for? An early winter rendezvous with all the things you love to do. Hey, hey, treat yourself to more. A little more summer, a little more sun, a little less work and a lot more fun. A little more beach, a little more sand, a little less stress and a lot more pain. Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise. A little more sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more be. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria and Adair Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to like Victoria Moran, author on Facebook, and post your questions and comments. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody out there on Main Street and Fifth Avenue and Rural Route. We're so happy to have you. I am Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran. And we are Main Street Vegans here on Unity.fm, Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. And I think we had a caller during the break. Is there somebody waiting to talk with us? Hey, who's this? This is is actually Joshua Catcher from TheDiscerningGroup.com. Well, we were just Hello. talking about you. I heard. I heard. It was, there was like a, a ringing in my ear, so I, I assumed I was being spoken about on the radio. <laughs> no, I actually, I was listening to the show, and thank you so much for that wonderful uh, shout-out for my, uh, my fundraising project for the Vegan Sustainable Suits. And is that where people would go? They would just do Kickstarter and Brave Gentle Man? Is that how they find you? Yeah, they can just search Brave Gentleman on Kickstarter or um, The Discerning Brute on Kickstarter. And for those people who don't know what Kickstarter is, it's a really simple platform to help contribute money to something uh, for any projects that you believe in and that you want to help be a part of making it happen. It really sort of transforms the traditional um, the traditional investor-creator uh, relationship and democratizes it. Oh, that's very cool. Well, I want your suits to be made for the animals, for the earth, and because I hope my husband will want one. So thanks a lot. Thanks for all you (laughs) do. do And thanks for calling in. Sure. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Take care, Joshua. Oh, that was nice. That was nice. Bye. Okay. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest. 
It is very seldom, Adair, that I can introduce a guest onto our show that I have known longer than I have known you. That's quite a while. Well, I've known Mark Matthew Bronstein a really long time, and that's because I am a lucky person. He has been a healthy vegan since 1970. He's the author of Radical Vegetarianism, a Dialectic of Diet and Ethic, branded radical for advocating veganism when it was first published in 1981. It was recently republished by Lantern Books in a 30th anniversary edition. Mark and I have that in common because my 1992 book, The Love Powered Diet, was also brought out for the third time by Lantern. Lantern Books, they're a great, great company. Mark is also the author of Sprout Garden and its sequel, Microgreen Garden, forthcoming in 2013. His articles about vegetarian topics have appeared in Vegetarian Times, Natural Health, Backpacker, and Elsewhere. You can find out more about Mark and his fabulous work at Mark Bronstein, B-R-A-U-N-S-T-E-I-N dot O-R-G, as he says, org for organic. How are you doing, Mark? Hi, Victoria. Hi, Adair. Hi. It's wonderful to hear you. Well, From, um, uh, since you mentioned you, know, you knew me longer than you knew Adair, actually, I need to correct you. I think you knew Adair about a few months longer because you and I first met, you were literally pushing a baby carriage. Where was that? I was at the North American Vegetarian Society Summer Conference. I don't know what year, but I'm sure you can remember because you would have had the baby carriage with you at that time. Wow. Well, that do I, well. I guess I won't say it because I'm sitting here next to my daughter, who's an actor, and I suppose putting ages out over the oh. airwaves is not what I should be doing. But All yeah, right. <laughs> we do go back quite a ways. And when I was looking at those pictures earlier today, I was seeing some of the folks that we all knew from way back then. When did you have any idea? that this whole vegetarian-vegan thing was going to get to where it is today? Um, vegetarianism, sure, but veganism, no. I'm actually quite surprised just in terms of the percentages among the vegetarian community. Back in those days when you and I uh, were the few vegans around, the percentage was far less than 10% of all vegetarians, but now it's about 50%. Yeah, that's so pretty that's- wonderful. Yeah, that's what I find very surprising. And, of course, that is indeed, that was my goal back then in my writings, as it was yours as well, was to speak to the vegetarian audience to tell them about the next step that they really should be taking if they're serious about their own vegetarianism. And why do you think it is that now so many people go straight from McDonald's to vegan? Hmm. That is something I I don't know the reason, um, but... I do look upon that with some suspicion because my, my belief is that the slower the transition, the more permanent the change. And, I mean, I went through several years of cutting out one food type after another, starting from calling myself a vegetarian but still eating fish, you know, to the, finally the point where I became vegan. Whereas, you know, indeed, the way most younger people these days go from McDonald's to vegan is almost overnight. On the other hand... There is some support to my suspicions because I do think there's a very large percentage of people who do lapse within the first two years. And these are usually the ones who did the transition overnight. Yeah, I think you have a, a term for them. Lapso um, vegetarians. <laughs> um, instead of just lapsed vegetarian, lapso vegetarian, similar to lacto. Yes. <laughs> oh, right. Well, let's talk about milk and eggs, since that's what really separates the vegans from from the vegetarians. I know Mm -hmm. that most of our listeners know about factory farms, slaughterhouses, why there's a lot that goes on there that we just absolutely should not be supporting. But what about people who produce dairy and, and eggs just in their backyards? You know, we hear about humane meat and all this kind of thing. Where are you on that? Well, um... Rather than speak from what I've read, I think it's always best to speak the voice of experience. And I can tell you about uh, nearly a week I spent on a family dairy farm, not a backyard farm, because I don't think anyone really has a cow in their backyard. But this was indeed uh, a family farm. It was a family of 
fortunate for the father, four sons, and then, of course, the mother, um, upstate New York. And it was indeed the most bucolic of circumstances you could imagine possible for dairy cows at that time and then is now. Of course, there's very few remaining such dairy farms that are family farms. The, the family farm that I had the privilege to be working on, you know, they loved their, their cows. The only um, thing that really exceeded the love of their cows was probably the love of their own children, and they treated their cows with kindness. They had names for all their cows. So you know, that really was the best of all circumstances. Nevertheless, as a vegan at the time, you know, I saw through the eyes of someone who um, was a little bit far removed from it all, and upstate New York, in the wintertime this was, when there was about a foot of snow on the ground, the cows were confined to the barn for all but one hour a day. And that one hour a day, you know, just to go out and tramp around in the snow was um, not even very comfortable for them. Back in the barn, they were all collared. You know, they, all they could move was up and down, seated and standing. And that was it for 23 hours a day. Their moves to me, sounded like screams of pain. And you can imagine 40 cows mooing. It's not exactly a very, very beautiful sound, I think, in the end. The, um, the bull, there was one bull kept for the 40 cows. He was confined to a small pen that was just not quite enough room for him to turn around in. And in, instead, in order to, I guess, burn off whatever energy that he needed to do, which is, you know, a neurotic behavior, as anyone would form neuroses, sitting in a cage, he was banging his head against the wall constantly. And this was, of course, a bull that was treated very humanely and kindly. You know. So I'm pointing out what I saw were not very beautiful things about what everyone else thinks is a beautiful experience, like Timmy and Lassie you know, and, and the farm. And that's really the best of circumstances. So. And, and if the baby calf is a male, then he's off to the veal unit no matter what. Yes, and, and that was during the one week there. Um, if you figure every year a cow is artificially inseminated, meaning about once a year every cow gives birth to a calf, well, during the one week I was there, they, they have the veal truck come by once a week and the one or two calves that were born were put onto that veal truck, which then drives off to the veal farm. Now, this farm family, who were you know, carnivores, nevertheless did not eat veal because they knew the doom to which they condemned their veal calves, and they greeted that veal truck as though it were a hearse. It was a... It was a uh, an hour or two of total sadness for the humans involved. Now, we're not even talking about the mother cow who separated. Now, the way it's done nowadays is the cow is usually separated from the calf within the first few hours. Well, at that time, it's only once a week that that truck came along. So that cow and that calf had several days to bond, and that was indeed, you know, as you can imagine, a, uh, a traumatic experience for both of them. Hmm. So. Why did you want to work on a dairy farm, even for a week? Oh, because, um, well, first of all, it was a friend of mine, someone I knew from college, and I knew that this would be an opportunity that would certainly um, give me more of a perspective than I can from just reading. The voice of experience in life is much more important in living than reading. And and you, too, as, as I very well remember, I mean, I've heard many and many of your talks year after year at these conferences, but the most moving talk that I've ever heard you give is the one about your visit to a slaughterhouse. Yeah, and that was many years ago, too, and I wouldn't have the nerve to do it today. I'm glad I did it when I did it. I also Mm. did bungee jumping once, and I'm glad I did it then because I wouldn't do that again. So sometimes you have the courage to do something <laughs> at one point in your life. But yeah, at that slaughterhouse, I, I bonded with a particular cow, and she was a used-up dairy cow. She knew people. She trusted people. And I, I was well aware that factory farming was horrible and we shouldn't be doing that. But what I saw at the slaughterhouse was the betrayal 
that comes to the animals who have felt that humans, even though they, they did things like branding and castration and other things that were not so kind, basically we're going to give these humans the benefit of the doubt and trust them. And, and in the end, certainly in the slaughterhouse, we prove ourselves to be untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. One of the mysteries to me is, you know, most wild animals under the same circumstances as a factory farm, they just shut down. They stop eating. They certainly don't reproduce. You know, as opposed to so many farm animals are putting up with so much abuse, pain and suffering in a factory farm, and yet they continue eating and yet they continue living. And I think perhaps there's this innate trust that, you know, from generations ago, anything before the 20th century, that these farm animals still have some trust in humans, that they're still waiting maybe to be released from from the hardships and the terror that they're living under. Oh, that's that's interesting. Now, you sent us some questions, Mark, and, and one of them is very provocative. You said, is there anything that you can find to say good about drinking milk, eating eggs, and factory farming? Okay, that's the question. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, I did tell you that most of the times when I've been on any kind of talk show, it was the talk show host who provided the questions. It's the first time you ever asked, you know, I've been asked to provide them. So, okay. Um, the easiest and shortest answer is about factory farming. The one good thing I could see is that it does separate farm animals from the wild, from, you know, traipsing out into the fields where they can become vulnerable to predation. If a farm animal is vulnerable to a predator, you know that the farmer is going to not just protect its farm animals, but they go out there and eliminate any predators around with that. It might even potentially harm their, their livestock. So the fact that the farm animal separated from the wild animal at least is good in terms of the predator wild animal population do not have to suffer at the hands of the farmers or the or the uh, cattle rangers. All right, that's the that was an easy short one. The thing about milk and eggs as opposed to meat, the the one great advantage is I see people who are drinking milk, eating dairy products, eating eggs over those who are consuming you know, all of the meat products as well is the one big difference is they're not consuming the fear of death, and by that I mean when a farm animal is waiting in line at the slaughterhouse, and you could you know, vouch for this, you know, they might be out of sight from the next you know, uh, incapacitating um, slit of the throat or whatever, but they all know from the sounds and the smells what's, what's awaiting them. They're all lined up, and they're all living in fear of dying. They're, they're afraid of the death that's just around the corner. A wild animal, when it's killed by a predator, very often it's only a matter of a few seconds or you know, at the very most there's some kind of long chase involved in it. There's fear there as well. But usually you know, a, a hawk swoops down onto uh, a mouse in the field. mouse doesn't know what hit it. So there's no time for that animal to feel the fear of death. Now, that fear of death we translate that as hormones. Adrenaline rushes throughout the body. And I don't know the science behind it, but it seems to be um, very often referred to that the fact that hormones and antibiotics and pesticides remain unassimilated in the animal body. So because of that, if you're eating meat, you're eating these animals who fear death. And my theory is that meat eaters all fear death in a way that we as vegans do not and that also vegetarians do not because they're not eating those hormones of death, that fear of death. Now, all that that comes around to say that I think, well, okay, um, Socrates, or at least quoted by Plato, who wrote down what Socrates said, said that the purpose of philosophy is to teach us how to die. Well, I would expand that a little bit, and I would say the purpose of all philosophy and all religion is to teach us to not fear death. On that note, if I can can just cut in for one second, I think we have a caller who wants to uh, call in and ask you a question. Sure. Okay. Hello? 
Oh, it, yeah, Jennifer, but I didn't want to interrupt what Mark was saying. Hi. Oh, that's okay. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Well, um, gosh, I, my, my question may touch on that, um, but I'll, I'll quickly just, can I just take this opportunity to thank you, Victoria, and tell you what a huge fan of your book I am. I'm Main Street Vegan. I'm partway through it. I think it must have been so much fun for you to put together. I can just tell um, from the construction that you must have enjoyed it, and thank you for it. You know, Jennifer, I think we just have seconds until our next break. So can you okay. hold my, that my thought? Question. <laughs> oh, sure, I can hold it. Sure. Go ahead. Oh, okay. My question was, um, I'm wondering if Mark, and I think you probably agree, but I, I'm interested in Mark's take on also, um, the idea that greater demand for vegetarian products that mimic the standard American diet, you know, the processed things, and I know you touch on that in Main Street Vegan, um, that that's what's needed for a world where animals aren't cruelly tortured. And, and I'm taking that from Bruce Friedrich and Matt Ball's um, Animal Activist Handbook. But um, to the extent that we can successfully mimic all of the foods that we're familiar with, that that will have mass appeal and that will get us sooner to um, a more compassionate world. So I'm torn because I'm making my transition towards healthier whole food eating, but I also want people to know about those uh, analog faux mimicking foods. So that was right. that was my question. Terrific question. Thanks. Stay with us. Mark, think up a perfect, beautiful answer, and we'll be back right after this with more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Rev. Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to our third and final segment. Oh, my gosh, these shows go so fast. Our guest today is Mark Bronstein, author of Radical Vegetarianism. Mark's website is markbraunstein.com. And we had a question from Jennifer about mock meats and mock other animal products. What do you think about those, Mark? Um, you did give me the chance to come up with a very succinct sentence to sum it up. It's, I say it half-jokingly, but also half-seriously. 
I would rather eat meat that tastes like soybeans than soybeans that taste like meat. Wow. <laughs> so, so you are not a fan of tofurkeys and Boca burgers? Absolutely not, because if you look at the list of ingredients, it's all made with a lot of garbage. I mean, isolated soy protein is something that everyone should isolate from their diets. And on the ethical side, you, you don't think that this is helping animals and helping people make a transition? Uh, transition, sure. I mean, there's no question. But, um, you know, I do, I do think that if you're going to judge foods, and that word judgment is a very harsh term, if you're going to judge a food like meat compared to cupcakes, I really think at least meat has some origin, some basis of a wholesomeness in it, and there's probably nothing that's of any wholesomeness in a cupcake, you know, white flour and white sugar as it may be. Well, the same thing, you know, meat compared to the most of these mock meats is something that, um, you know, I would, I would say there's more wholesomeness in certain meats in terms of just, you know, diet than there is in many of these mock meats. Do you think there's something to be said, though? Like, I feel like as a vegan, if someone invites me to a barbecue, I can bring some burgers and hot dogs that look like something familiar, and I think it makes veganism seem a little more attainable. Do you think sure, having foods I mean, like that in moderation might be good for that? Well, for people in transition, of course, yeah. Um, I'm no longer in transition, obviously. The only burger that I ever even eat voluntarily and, you know, I buy myself on occasion, like once every half year, is Sunshine Burger or Sun Burger. No, Sunshine Burger it's called because it's the only one that isn't made with any of these things trying to simulate meat. That's, it's made that's with the sunflower and, seed one, right? Yes, yeah. It doesn't taste like meat. It only is in the shape of a burger and it has nothing to do with meat whatsoever and it's the only one that has indeed whole ingredients. That that is a very cool answer, Jennifer. Are you still on? And before I go, I just wanted to say I love those burgers too. Um, two <laughs> years ago at Summerfest, both Milton Mills, whom I know is um, in, mentioned in your book, Victoria, and also I think Colleen Patrick Goudreau made this really thought-provoking point that I wanted to share. Just on that point, Mark, with your pithy, rather eat soy meat that tastes like soybeans and vice versa. And this was what he said. He said it's usually only when people cook fresh. You know, then they dry it out and change its texture, and they flavor it with, with what? Yeah, things from the plant kingdom, right? Herbs, hickory smoke, spices, that flesh becomes more appealing. So Mills asks, which food is really imitating which? And I say maybe we shouldn't give ourselves such a hard time about um, the analog quote-unquote products because I think the case can be made that it's more often the other way around, that flesh foods are given the attributes of plants, Mm-hmm. I do agree um, insofar as tempeh. I think te- it doesn't taste like meat, but it does have a texture. And tempeh is a whole product. It's a whole soybean in there. And I do eat tempeh all the time. On the other hand, I don't eat tofu. I never buy tofu on my own at home. It's a, it's, it's a fractured product. It's like eating white flour, white sugar. Take uh-huh. out the fiber, take out the fat, and that's what tofu is from the soybean. Uh-huh. Know, these are all just good for transitions. I agree. And so, well, Mark... Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks so much for your call. So, Mark, this Thanks. brings Bye-bye. me to bye, to one of your areas of expertise, and, and this is microgreens. Uh-huh. What, what is a microgreen, and how do you get one? All right. Um, microgreen is the stage after a sprout. Okay, a sprout, you can grow yourself. You don't need any light. You don't need any soil. You only need to add water, literally, right? And the air, of course, is there whether you, whether you, uh, have, you try to put it more of it or not. A microgreen is that next stage where that sprout needs sun to further grow and it needs soil. And the stage after that is something that is actually new to our marketplace about 30 or 40 years ago, would be baby greens, you mescaline salad greens. Well, microgreen is that stage in between the two. Uh, usually only two weeks old at the longest. Anything between five days and, and two weeks I would define as a microgreen. Very quick and easy to grow at home. Doesn't need a lot of attention. Doesn't need a lot of soil or space for that matter because it's indeed, you know, micro. So I could grow them here in my New York City apartment. Oh, absolutely. You don't even need southern exposure. If you just had eastern or western, I think that would be 
just sufficient enough sunlight alone. And um, <clears throat> most microgreens will do very well in, in temperatures below 60 degrees. So if you're home, if you're away from your home during the day, as I am, and my uh, my home is heated only to about 50 degrees when I'm away, they do fine. And that's uh, about nine tenths of any kind of microgreen, especially the brassicas. They do very well in cool temperatures. So they're you know, basically an, an easy thing to grow. A sprout does need warmth. To germination, the, that stage of germination does need warmth. After that, coolness is actually usually preferred. And we can get instructions for these on your website. Yes, there's a whole web page. It has a long, long text, um, which you can just read or, or you know, download the page. But there's also two articles, um, one, one which appeared in the North American Vegetarian Society magazine, Vegetarian Voice. Uh, you can download those articles, too, from there. As well, um, I have a, a PDF, a, a list of sources for seeds, for equipment. And you can just you download the PDF, and then you just click on all the links. That's fascinating. I know Adair actually has a garden in Manhattan. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew that. It's just yeah. she's so lucky. And she's got uh, a blog about her garden in Manhattan. She, I do. She does indeed. That's Harlem's farm on Blogspot. But, Mark, I, I want you to tell us a little bit of your story. Uh, what happened on your 39th birthday? Uh, 39th birthday, that was in 1990. I'm now 61 years old. I, um, this was right after the North American Vegetarian Society uh, Summerfest held in Geneseo, New York. And nearby Geneseo is Letchworth State Park. It's a um, beautiful park. It has three waterfalls. So I was there after the conference with uh, three other friends who had attended the conference with me. And we were hiking along and came to the, uh, the third of the three falls, the one that's about a mile away from you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the road. And we found some farmers, local farmers, two of them were actually dairy farmers who were jumping off a footbridge and into a river. And it looked like it was fun and easy. So I hadn't swam that whole time at the conference. I was a mile swimmer at the time. I was a little bit um, out of shape, I thought, after not swimming for a week. I wanted to get into the water. So I got up onto the footbridge and jumped in with them. And, of course, I didn't think you could hurt yourself at, um, at just jumping, trying feet first. But at 60 feet, as it was... If you don't land right, you do damage things. And I became paralyzed below the waist uh, with spinal cord injury. And during the course of the next year after that, I, I did uh, get significant recovery. I was able to begin walking um, with a walker first and then on crutches. And now, 22 years later, I'm still walking on crutches, which that in itself, I, I would have to say, and pardon my egotism there, but that that in itself is quite a feat because... Most people who walk with crutches, their shoulders give out within 10 years, and I've had no problems with that whatsoever. And there's other complications of spinal cord injury, and this, and I hope this isn't too uh, intimate a detail, but um, I, I do not have the ability to urinate, all right? And so in order to do so, I do what's called intermittent self-catheterization. I don't mind saying this. And if people don't know what that means, it means I take a tube and I stick it up my penis when I have to go. Well, the reason why I mention this, all other people who do this procedure are on and off or sometimes always on antibiotics because they're always suffering urinary tract infections. And I've been doing this for 22 years, and I've never even had one. And if there's a Guinness Book of Medical Records, that I would certainly be on that. And the reason is because an alkaline diet produces acidic urine and is and the acidic environment prevents the formation of bacteria. So I credit my diet you know, directly as the reason why I do not ha- never had a UTI. Wow. Well, Mark, you're really amazing. And I remember when you were trying to get from the walker to the crutches and you said you wanted to be able to, to shoo the hunters off the, the land where you live because you've right. done that before and you didn't want paralysis to keep you from doing that. Well, I uh-huh. find that really inspiring. You're just cool. I'm just so glad that you're in the world and in my life. So everybody, if you want to know more about Mark, check out markbronstein.org. If you want to know more about Adair and me and Main Street Vegan, check out MainStreetVegan.net. All you praying people, give 
Adair some good old prayers for safe travel to Africa. Have a fabulous time. Thank you. And be back with us next week. We're going to be talking with Patty Brightman, how to eat like a vegetarian, even if you never want to be one. Ellen Jaffe Jones, eat vegan on $4 a day. And golly, think what you could do with all the money that you save after that. Thanks, everybody, for spending this hour with us. Eat your greens. God bless. Be well. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria and Adair Moran entertain, educate, and inspire you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria and Adair or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment from Reverend Joan Gattuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. good life and are grateful for it but what if you stretched beyond good and shifted to amazing join reverend temple hayes senior minister of the first unity campus in saint petersburg florida as she guides you on a journey to an amazing life Transcend the need for acceptance of others and be an example of living the truth. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an amazing life right now? Learn how each week on From Good to Amazing, Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Rev. Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Life is hard. 
and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.